Last week we began a spiritual journey, and it's a journey to pursue the value of Sabbath, and I'm just so glad you're here to be a part of it. God could do something in our hearts this morning and take us deeper in our experience with him. We talked about rest last week. I hope you've experienced rest in Christ. I hope that you're experiencing rest from your work and being able to rest in what God has for you. And today, this is week two of our spiritual journey, and we're going to talk about the Sabbath practice of trust. Sabbath and trust have, have something to do with each other, and we want to go deeper in that. I want to invite you just to, to look into your own heart as we begin. We've prayed several times. We're going to pause, just give you a moment for personal prayer. I'm going to guide it with a few words, but just to talk with God for a minute about where your trust level with him is. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us where we are lacking trust in you. And I pray that you do some of that work right now as people pause and speak with you. Lord, I celebrate everyone who's trusting in you for anything right now. Celebrate that we have found you trustworthy. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about how we could rest better by trusting you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So it's been a while since I've had babies of my own. My girls are getting big. But I do remember what some of you are going through. And there's this, this long piece of fabric we had. It was called Moby, right? Moby. And I got good at tying this Moby. It was a long piece of fabric. I'd put it around my neck and tie it around the baby and tie it. And I kind of felt, felt tribal. I felt very accomplished when I could put this thing on because it looked pretty fancy. And what it'd do is it just, the, the baby would be right here and held in this thing that I tied her in and I'd tie it around my waist and adjust it. And I'd walk around, I'd do dishes, I'd do all kinds of things and have this, this baby right here. You could put, put the baby on your back. And I just got to thinking, you know, there are some experiences as a baby that if you had a baby body and an adult mind would be so uncomfortable. I mean, the experience of having your diaper changed or people squeezing those cheeks. But I got thinking about this Moby. I mean, what would you do if you're going about your business and a giant walks up and picks you up and ties you to his belly? And he starts walking around, and you're thinking, I'm going to whack into that refrigerator, or he's going to drop me. I don't trust that knot. I would, I would do a lot of things, but I would not fall asleep. And what's amazing about the Moby is my babies would fall asleep. They'd just curl up right there, and they weren't thinking about whacking their head into the refrigerator or the intention of the giant who just picked them up because they trusted me. They'd never had an experience, well, maybe they did, maybe I blocked it out, but they'd never had an experience of me dropping them when I picked them up and tied them to my belly. And you know, there's same experience, the difference would be trust or no trust. Like we can go through the exact same experience in this life, whatever your crisis is, and it can be one that 
you are soothed to sleep or induced to stress. The only difference is your level of trust in the one who's carrying you through it. And I think that there's a lot of us who would admit that we've had a little too much stress in our troubles because we have a little too little trust in our God. And the reality is, when we don't trust, it's really hard to rest. Just imagine a few other illustrations if it helps you. Maybe imagine that you're, as a single parent in the airport with your child, your children, and you've gone through security, and you saw that man arguing with security, and you made a mental note to say, stay away from that guy. And then you're waiting at your layover, and you got your bags there, and your kids, and you're groggy, and then you see that guy coming, and he suggests to you, why don't you just take a nap? I'll watch over your stuff. Do you do it? And why? You need rest, but you have no trust. So our inability to trust makes rest really, really difficult for us. We're going to look at Exodus 16, and we're just going to stay in Exodus 16, this whole message. And what I hope you can do, and what I can do, is recognize that the Sabbath, every week, the Sabbath is an invitation to trust God. You might not have ever equated Sabbath and trust before, but Sabbath is an invitation to trust. And here in this church, we're a Seventh-day Adventist church. We value the Sabbath. We have a long history of worshiping on the Sabbath and, and keeping the Sabbath holy and being Seventh-day Adventist. We know some of these verses that we believe have called us to a Sabbath practice. But you know what we're a lot less literate in is how to keep the Sabbath in a way that's worth keeping how to receive the blessing of the Sabbath. And so one of those we're going to hit today is just this trust factor. And I hope by the end of our time that God has just touched your heart in a place that you are eager to trust him more and to have Sabbath practice be a place where that trust grows. So are you in Exodus 16? We're going to look at uh, three, three ways to trust God here. Trust God to provide. Trust God to prepare, and trust God to preserve. So we got to get the story, and the text tells it as good as I could tell it. It's just a drama in which God provides in awesome ways. So here's the story. They're in the wilderness, and they're getting hungry, and this is what happens. Exodus 16, verse 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and in doing that, they're grumbling against God. They're grumbling against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. They were slaves in Egypt. And they're just saying, I just wish we could have died there as slaves. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this assembly with hunger. They had gone to a, a hard place, and I hope we don't go there because they're looking at, at a God who just did miraculous, awesome things, and then they're concluding, you did it all just to watch us die in the wilderness. Has your trust level ever been there? Think about what they just went through. God parted the—well, first of all, 
he, he does these plagues, right? All these frogs and all these bugs and everything. And he does these plagues to get them out of Egypt. He delivers them. He has the blood on the doorpost, and they go out of Egypt. And then God splits the Red Sea. They walk through. He makes it go back. God does all these miracles, and they say, yeah, you just did it so we die. God has not worked every miracle in your past to bring you to a place and abandon you. Just look back on those miracles, miracles and do not conclude that God's end to that story is to fail you. He did those things to lead you to a better place. And he's not leaving you there just to die in hunger. And their trust level had gotten to a place where that's just the conclusion of the story for them. You just brought us out here to die of hunger. Well, God can provide, and he does. Watch the next verse. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Okay, what am I going to do? They're complaining about food. Then the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Isn't that a good God? You're in the wilderness, and there's, you know, maybe things aren't growing there, and there's a lot of people. How are you going to get food? God says, well, I could do anything, and I'm going to choose to rain down bread from heaven for you. When you're at that place and you think the conclusion of the story is, I'm done. There was a few successes in my spiritual life before, but at this point, I'm just going to die in this wilderness. God has ways of providing that you haven't conceived of. And he can rain down bread from heaven for us. How is your trust level in God providing? So we're going to skip a few verses and go down to some more of the story that tells us about God providing. So we're going to go to verse 13. Notice the full and complete and beautiful way God provides. It says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. So it just wasn't just bread. Quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. So he had two menus, morning and evening, he rains down food from heaven. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And that's, that's the word manna. We get it from the Hebrew word for what. What is this thing? I don't even know what it is. But God rained it down from heaven. Which is awesome because the way God provides does not have to be with something you're familiar with. It doesn't have to be in a way you'd predict or you even understand. God has ways to provide for you. So they have this manna covering the ground. And here's what they're supposed to do. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. I just want to pause and think about that concept of gathering. We can deceive ourselves. Remember we have six days to work one day to rest. We can actually deceive ourselves that we accomplish a whole lot in those six days. That in those six days, we're actually producing something of our own. You know that every breath we take and every step we take and every good thing we're able to accomplish, you know it's a gift from God, right? So every good thing is a gift from above. 
And what we're reminded of in this pattern of six and one is on those six days, it's not like we have six days to be the hero, and then God has one. We are not producing, we're just gathering what God has produced. So I want you to think about your work. Maybe you, you are employed and your job is important and you think quite a bit of yourself for doing it. You're actually not producing the things that you're getting done. You're just gathering the blessings that God has rained from heaven. Isn't that a different way to look at it? You're a teacher, and you're lesson planning, and you're working hard, and I commend you for it. You know what you're doing? You're gathering the blessings to make them available. God's rained them down. You're gathering them. Whatever your job is, you actually don't create. You just gather what God provides. And you know what helps me to rest a whole lot more? Is when I realize that God doesn't just provide for the Sabbath. Every good thing during all six days is a gift from him. He provides all these things. And you know what we're guilty of? We stop believing things are miracles when they're familiar miracles. Like we hear foreign stories about how God did this crazy thing we've never seen. And that's a miracle. Well, I was fortunate to listen to an interview of some people in a place that are persecuted for their faith and they were hearing stories about America. And in the interview, they said, you Americans are so blessed. And then they said, look at the miracles God is doing for you all the time. And the person says, like, like what? Because I just heard you say that you had food appear from nowhere and you had messages and dreams and visions. Like, what miracles are you talking about in the American church? And they said, you're telling me you gather every week and proclaim Jesus and no one shoots you? You're telling me that you can pray together in groups? These are miracles. But you know what? They're so familiar to me that I've never called it a miracle. And some things are very familiar to me because they're the things I do with my six days of labor and I think, I'm pretty good at this. Look what I did. You know, that's a miracle. I'm just gathering what God provides. Every breath, every step is a gift. So God provides them food and they gather it as much as they can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God provided in such a perfect way that there was no need and there was no excess. Perfect provision for the people in their time of need. God can do more with your six days than you can do with seven. You probably have heard this concept before with tithes. You know, we, we have our money and we give our 10% because it's all his, but it just reminds us that 10% reminds us that the whole batch is his. And you've seen it before in your giving that God can actually do more with your finances with your 90%, with his 90%, than with your 100%. Well, God can do more in your six days than in your seven. Do you have issues with time? Do you need more time? Do you stress about time? Do you have time man management struggles? Would you trust enough that God is a provider in such a way that if you give him your six 
and wholeheartedly reserve the Sabbath for practicing a Sabbath, that he could actually provide more in the six than you could make up in the seven? He does it. He did it for Israel. And we're going to see that in, as we continue with their story because they gathered, but there was no rain from heaven on the seventh day. So I want you to reflect. How does your trust in God's provision impact your ability to rest on his Sabbath? You spend your week feeling like you're the hero and you just got to keep going as hard as you can. And then maybe you'll just take a little time to give a nod to God when you come around to the Sabbath. Or is it a celebration where you get to the end of the six and you realize God has worked miracles every day of providing and you're going to celebrate the great provider by resting on the seventh. So we trust God to provide. What do you not trust God to provide? Imagine if you were to take the Sabbath deeper in your experience. If you were today to make a decision, whatever your Sabbath practice is, to go deeper in that, what do you get nervous about? What do you not trust God to provide if you were to go a little deeper into the experience of Sabbath? Maybe it's time. Maybe you're thinking, I can't get in all the things I want to get in with the time I have. If I was to reserve more time for rest, it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's entertainment. Like, do you actually trust that God is satisfying enough that if you put away a certain type of entertainment for a time, that you wouldn't get bored? Because I read about this God and people who've seen him in a way that I haven't seen him. I read about how John saw him and he was on this throne and he had this emerald rainbow and he had a voice like thunder and I don't think boring. <laughs> I think that is a God, well, I know what happened. When those well, others were there who saw it, they fell on their faces and they cried, holy, holy, holy. And then they encircled the throne and they worshipped and they cast their crowns at his feet. I don't think they were thinking, man, I just wish I could get back to some less godly entertainment. I'm so bored. Do you trust God? Like, ask yourself. Do you trust that if you were to take another step in your Sabbath experience, that God could actually satisfy you? Do you trust God to give you pleasure? So I had a friend in the first church I pastored, and he had, years before I knew him, had an accident that left him with a traumatic brain injury, and he was able to, to live on his own, but he struggled, and he had some uh, discouragement. He needed friends. And he would hang around the church a lot and visit. And one day he told me, you know, Pastor, I've learned to trust God to take care of me. I've learned to trust God for my food and to get enough odd jobs to support myself. But I'm learning something new. And he said, I'm learning to trust God to give me joy. And I sat and listened to this man who was often discouraged I thought, you are so right. The God of the universe who created me with a need for pleasure, he knows how to give me joy. And if I was to think that I, I have God here, but then I'm responsible to make myself have pleasure because he's not really that fun, 
boy, what a, what a miss. Do you trust God if you were to take another step in your journey in Sabbath that God could actually satisfy your heart and give you joy in a heavenly, holy, awesome way? It's a question to, to rest with for a while. Do you trust God for income? Maybe that's, that's the thing that's holding you back from a deeper step in Sabbath. God knows how to handle that too, doesn't he? So trust God to provide, and we trust God to prepare. We prepare for the Sabbath in different ways. The way they did was on day six. They got manna and quail every day. On day six, you know what they got? Double portion. On day six, they got no portion. So on day six, they were to gather in extra, and it would last for day seven. There was a, an actual preparation they had to take. You know that rest doesn't just happen? You actually have to prepare for it. When we don't prepare well, we don't rest well. Have you ever gone on a vacation and just not prepared for it? And here's what happens, for me anyway, if I don't prepare to rest, then, you know, I, I think of it at 10 o'clock the night I'm going to leave that I don't have a place for my dogs to go and I'm going to miss the flight and I actually haven't booked a hotel but I hope there's vacancy and I didn't really get all my work done so I'll just work on it during my vacation because resting on a vacation takes budgeting and planning and booking it actually takes a lot of preparation to rest well and God was modeling that in the way he fed them from heaven he was saying you're going to rest on this day. So you have to prepare, and the day before, you're going to gather double. Do you trust God to help you prepare? Because I know what Fridays are like for me. I can be on top of everything, and somehow everything hits me on Friday, and everyone wants to talk on Friday, and everything goes wrong on Friday. And what I did this week is I, I had a busy Friday. And sometimes I think, well, it's work for the Lord. I'm just going to work on it as long as I can, and I'll get it done. You know what I said this Friday? Because I've been studying this passage. I told God in the morning, I believe it's double portion day. I got a lot to get done. And I believe that you've provided it, and I'm going to gather double. And you know what? I had time with my family before the Sabbath came. And I don't know how it works every week. But I was so impressed when I claimed double portion day, and I let God provide... I got my to-do list done. God has a plan. And he has, do you actually trust that God could empower you with the, the diligence and the productivity and the energy to prepare for what he's given you in taking a break? It's, it's a trust thing. For me, my trust is little. And I had to tell myself, this is double portion day. I'm going to trust you, even though I don't really feel like this is going to happen. How do you need to trust God to prepare for the Sabbath? Because if you prepare, that means it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. We've got to trust him. Question for you to think about. What do you need to trust God for in the six work days to be better prepared to rest? What is it that you're not quite sure God actually provides? So we have a precedence in Exodus 16 of God actually interfering with the laws of nature. That's a miracle. Interfering with the laws of nature so that his people could rest on a Sabbath. He says, I'm going to rain down bread. I'm going to rain a double portion. And then this is what's going to happen with it. 
we're going to see God preserve that portion. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. We see consistently in the story, the people had trust issues. They kept hearing these things and saying, I don't know if we should really trust what God's telling Moses. This sounds kind of crazy. So don't leave any till the morning, but they did not listen. And some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. Man, should have listened to Moses. So they gathered this food. They didn't quite trust it's going to rain down the next day, so we have leftovers. Well, it got worms and stinky. In the morning, morning by morning, I missed a piece. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And this is verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers of each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, now in this verse that I'm going to read, it's going to say the word Sabbath. This is the first use of the word Sabbath in the Bible. That's kind of surprising to me. Because I thought, what about Genesis 2? Well, he rested on the seventh day. But it doesn't say the word Sabbath. And I thought, man, the word Sabbath is not even mentioned in all the story of Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. It comes in Exodus 16. And it comes in a way that God expected them to, to have an experience with this. This was not a new thing. But it's mentioned here for the first time in Exodus 16, 23. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. Now, when they hear that, they're like, hey, we just tried that. And they got worms, and it got stinky. So they had an experience of how it worked one way, and now he says, you're going to do that this time. Don't do it during the week. Do it on day six so you have it for day seven. Save what you're going to save because you're not going to get any on day seven. So they laid aside till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. I just want to pause. Are you trusting God to preserve the things you need? See, the God who you can trust to provide you can also trust to preserve it as long as you need it. And Sabbath is a weekly reminder that God preserves the things we need. And there's someone right now, I don't know, maybe you're online, maybe you're here. There's something that you're really afraid of losing. And your trust in God is, is right on this point of preservation. You're thinking, I'm just overwhelmed by the fear of letting go of this person or this thing or this opportunity, and it's keeping you from rest. Now, it's a real thing. Whatever it is that you're afraid of losing, that's a big thing. That's important. But is it possible that your lack of trust in God to preserve what you need while you need it is keeping you from resting in God? And in this earth, we don't actually get everything preserved perfectly. People die and jobs are lost and health goes away. But can you trust God enough to preserve what you need while you need it to stop gripping onto it so tightly in a way that you just can't rest? The God who provided it, he can be trusted to preserve that thing. And 
And maybe you'll find that as you let it go to him, there won't be worms and it won't stink. You can actually trust those things to the hand of God. So it continues. Moses said, Eat it today, for tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it. Uh, today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. How might trusting God's preservation help you rest on the Sabbath? And maybe there's a specific thing. The next question: How might the Sabbath help preserve your family or your health or uh, something in your life that's falling apart? How could a Sabbath practice actually hold that together? So we trust God to provide. We trust God to prepare. We trust God to preserve. And then we have some big trust issues. And we've seen it already, but here's what happens next. He said, don't gather because there's not going to be any here. And it says, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. God said there'd be none. They went out to gather it, and they found none. There's no benefit in pushing where God is not providing. You could try really hard, but if it doesn't rain down from heaven, there's nothing to gather. And God has set up this cycle for us to work and rest. And what we find is if we push right through the piece of rest, we can push, but there's no benefit. There's no benefit because there was nothing provided that day. We have trust issues. We go out and look when God said, you're not going to find anything out there. And he says, so stay in your home. And why? Why do this? You know, because it actually wasn't that hard to gather. It's not like they were hunting. It's not like they were hiking 30 miles to track down a caribou. Like that, that'd be hard work. They were going out and gathering food that fell from heaven. That's pretty easy. If I was judging, I'd say that's something you could probably do on a Sabbath. Like, just go grab the food that fell from heaven. But what we're reminded of is that work is so sneaky. Have you noticed that? Like, I could probably do this thing, and then pretty soon your mind is in a completely different place. So God actually set up certain boundaries, and I think he trusts us with his Holy Spirit to establish our own personal boundaries that we need in our own lives, because every one of us has a different work situation, but he, he sets up boundaries to say, you're just not going to do this thing on the seventh day. Because if you do, these other things are going to sneak into your thinking. You know, it actually, our body, our brain, and the rest of our body, they hold on to stress. Whatever those chemicals are, they don't just go away right away. And so God works his people through a process of preparation and separation so they actually can get whatever that is out of their body for a while and rest in God. I don't know if you found work to be sneaky or stress to be sneaky or an anxiety to be sneaky, but maybe there's a way you need to trust God to put something aside because it just keeps distracting you and keeping your heart from resting. So what Trust issues do you have with the Sabbath? Maybe for you, a Sabbath practice could be coming to God and saying, I trust you with all of it. I'm going to rest today with all the unfinished business I have 
trusting that you provide, you preserve, and you prepare me. So here's how the text concludes. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his, his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. He says, how long? How long do you need it to not trust me? And that question hits me because I know that God has given me invitation after invitation to trust him, and I just keep thinking it's a little too risky. And he says, how long will you refuse to do this? And then he reminds us of what we are reminded of in Mark 2, when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for, this, uh, was made for man. He says, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So that's where we're, we're centering on in this study. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is something, not just that we're commanded to keep. Sabbath is something worth keeping. And there are trust issues in my life that I believe God actually wants to work out in my resting with him on the Sabbath. It is a that he has given you the Sabbath. He's not restricted you on the Sabbath. He's given you the Sabbath so your trust in him might grow. So this week, as you think about deepening your Sabbath practice, I want to push you each week to think about rhythms and rituals that you might put in your life. So these are good things that you put in your weekly calendar to help you have spiritual health. And think about a rhythm you might put in to help you trust? What weekly rhythms or rituals could you adopt to better prepare for Sabbath? Start thinking about your calendar, your, your weekly calendar. What could you do to help wind down your heart to receive a Sabbath worth keeping? What weekly rhythms or rituals could you adopt to make trust more a part of your Sabbath experience? Probably most of us have never thought of trust as a part of our Sabbath experience, what could you do to put your burdens onto God in the way you practice Sabbath? And we're going to close with a song that was actually written by Minda Newman, a church member here, about Sabbath. So as you listen to, to her offering of praise, um, and there's some pictures on the screen, I invite you to make it a spiritual time of prayer I don't know what God spoke to you today, but if he's calling your heart to deeper trust, talk back to him. Have a conversation with God through this song, and then Stacy's going to come up and close us. Sabbath is an invitation to trust a very trustworthy God.